come with me, please, to Mark 16. And we're going to begin with verse one. Would you look with me, please, at Mark 16, starting with verse one. And thank you for standing. That's our tradition here at Abundant Life to show respect for God's word. Mark 16. And we're going to begin with verse one. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. That is anoint Jesus very early in the morning on the first day of the week. They came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. This is an angel speaking. Listen to what he says. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. That he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. You may have your seats. May God bless us as we read and hear his word. And if we could put the subject on the screen, please. Our subject this morning is this. Jesus Christ gives us new life. Let's say that together. Jesus Christ gives us new life. And oh, yes, he does. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you love us. As the children showed us so beautifully, you have a big heart. You love us, God. You care about us. Thank you for the wonderful gift of new life. Some of us already have your new life. Some of us are wondering, what does it mean to follow Jesus? How can I have Jesus in my life? How can my heart be in God's heart? Lord, we're praying that you would touch the heart of a girl, a boy, a man or a woman. That they would come to know you today. And for those of us who have new life, help us live in celebration that you have made us new. Help us walk in the new life you've given us. And we thank you, God, for the newness that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On this first Easter Sunday morning, these three women come to the tomb. And they are women, in a sense, a lot like us. They have their strengths and they have their weaknesses. But let me tell you what stands about, out about these women. They loved Jesus. And they still love him. I believe they're all in heaven. And they will always love him. They had expressed an amazing love for Jesus in some of the most painful times you can possibly imagine. These were women, Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of Joseph and James and Salome, these three women, they were among those who stayed at the cross when others ran. They were among the very last people at the cross. And when I say at the cross, they saw the whole thing. 
We talked last week about how Jesus was scourged. And so he had these horrible, long, uh, uh, terrible cuts on his back. Stripes, as Isaiah called him. And by those stripes, we are healed. They saw the pain. They saw the agony, the blood. They saw the crown of thorns on his head. They saw all that he went through. And these women stayed at the foot of the cross. They heard Jesus, who had been tortured and mistreated and, and, and shamed and, and treated like nothing when he is God. They heard him say from the cross, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they stayed. They heard Jesus after the hours of agony on the cross, the most excruciating way that you could possibly die at that time. They heard him say, Father, into my into thy hands, I commit my spirit. And they saw him give up his spirit. He wasn't killed. Jesus gave his life and he gave it for you and for you and for me. And these women were there. The Bible tells us that all three of them evidently were there when they gently took him down from the cross and began to anoint his body. Now, this was a body that had been horribly treated. So there were cuts and wounds. And so they cleaned the wounds. And after they cleaned the wounds, they took spices and put the spices on and wrapped the linen cloth around and more spices. And they wrapped the linen cloth around and more spices. And they wrapped the linen cloth around because they loved Jesus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, who was wealthy and owned this tomb, they took him and placed his body gently, I'm sure. And he had not been treated gently all day. Gently, they placed his body in the tomb. And now it's the third day. He's still there and they're heartbroken. They thought for sure, isn't he the Messiah? Isn't he the one who's going to come and save the world? And now he's dead. But we love him. And all we can do is go back to the tomb and bring some spices and anoint him some more. We know it'll be he'll be decomposing. There probably won't be a good smell. That's okay. We love him. And we're going to try to lessen the smell because we love him. So they're on their way to the tomb, expecting to find a decomposed body. And God allows these women to get there and find out that the stone has been rolled away, has been removed. And here's what's beautiful in a society that treats women like they're nothing. They are the first to see the majesty and the glory and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's God at work. Mary Magdalene had a messed up life before she met Jesus. He had had to cast seven spirits out of her, seven unclean spirits. So she had you talk about issues. I won't go into detail. That's another sermon. But there's a whole lot of bad stuff going on in her life. Can you imagine how people treated her even after she had those spirits cast out, even after God cleaned her and made her new? They were, you know, I remember you way back when I remember how you used to act. Girl, I remember how you used to dress. I remember I used to talk. I remember where you used to go. I don't know what she did. It's not the point. But if you got seven of them in there, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. God clean her up. The world will look at her and say, you're nobody. But Jesus says, you're my daughter. You're my daughter. I love you. And we'll see. She's the first person he appeared to. Mary Magdalene. 
Folks looking down on him. Salome, a woman. Nobody knows about her, but Jesus lets her be there. Mary, the mother of Joseph, this other Mary. She's another woman. Jesus lets her be there because to Jesus, they're his daughters. Here's what I love about God. Notice that these women come. This is to me poetic. They come at sunrise. You see, the world looks at you and says, I know how you used to be. I know how you were. God says, I've changed your life. I know where I'm going to take you. And I know where we're going. And I know you're my child and I love you. The world wants to look at you like you're nothing. God says you're somebody. You're not only somebody, but you're my daughter. You're my son. And I will always love you. Like the kid showed us, he's got a big heart. And that's a heart that looks at us like every day. Please hear me is a sunrise. It's dawn every day because God sees us in the light of who we are in Jesus Christ. When we come to know Christ. That's what happens. Now, I want to just pause here. Some of us here maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want you to know. I don't know if you've had seven issues in your life. But even if you had 27 or three, there is a God who changes lives and saves souls and turns people around. And when he looks at you, it won't be darkness. He will look at you like every day is the sunrise. It will be dawn. And that's point number one. Let's put that on the screen today. Please, let's put that on the screen. Point number one. New life brings many, many sunrises. Let's say that together. New life brings many, many sunrises. It was a sunrise for Mary. People were looking at her and putting her down and laughing at her because of the way she had lived. And Jesus says, you're my daughter. I'm going to let you be here and see this miracle. Salome, you're my daughter. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, you're my daughter. He is the God of sunrises. It's unbelievable how he would do this. And please, let me just say this. Here's how we know, as the kids showed us, we can trust the Bible. It's the truth. You see the ring of truth here? These women aren't perfect. They're loving, but they're sad. They're coming to the tomb. Their hearts are heavy. They've already anointed him, but they want to anoint him some more. They expect to find a body at the tomb. And when they come, they're, they're looking down, the Bible says, evidently, because in verse 4, it says when they looked up, they realized that the stone was gone. They're sad. They're not expecting to find a risen Savior. They don't have perfect faith. And guess what? Neither do I. And guess what? Neither do you. They're a lot like us. You see, if critics of Christianity have said, this is nonsense. Somebody made this up. Somebody just wrote this story. Mark embellished it. Uh, John embellished it. If they had, let me tell you something. First of all, they wouldn't have had people come in there expecting to find a dead body with spices. They would have come with confidence. Oh, he said he was going to rise and we'll see if he's risen. The second thing, no disrespect to the women in the audience, because women were treated so badly. There's no way if somebody made this up, they'd have three women coming to the tomb. Do you know women were so badly disrespected in those days? A woman could not be a witness in a courtroom. You could have 10 women witness a crime. And if they came to court and say, we saw this terrible thing happen. Here's what happened. The judge would say, got to throw it out. 
I don't have any witnesses because women can't be witnesses. That's what the world says. And so if, in fact, somebody had made this up, they wouldn't have women come into the tomb. They would have had men. They would have been disciples. It would have been John. Oh, and forget Peter. Because he denied Jesus. We don't even want to talk about Peter. Oh, no. It would have been John and the important disciples, and they would have strode in with great confidence. Well, we remember that he said he was going to rise from the dead. Let's look. Oh, my goodness. The stone is gone just as we suspected. (laughs) Gentlemen, aren't you glad we've got good faith? Isn't it wonderful? Happy Easter. I'm telling you, that's what it would have been. But... This is real. These are real people who are hurting and sad. And they come to the tomb wondering how in the world they're going to get in. They're so focused on Jesus. They don't even know how they're going to get in the tomb. And the stone is gone. And God allows them to see the stone gone and to meet an angel. And then a beautiful thing happens later. You talk about sunrise. The Lord Jesus actually meets with Mary because what happens is the women come. They realize what's going on. Mary runs back to tell Peter and John and some others they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've lain him. And she's not sure what's happening at this point. Peter and John come running. They look in the tomb. They realize that this is real, that Jesus has risen. John believes. And Mary is still shocked. She's standing outside of the tomb hurting. And the Lord ministers to her. Come with me to John 20. We're in Mark. That's two books to your right. Come with me to John 20, verse 11. Take a look. Beautiful, tender scene with Jesus. John 20. Verse 11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Regular person. She's hurting. This is Mary Magdalene, who had all the stuff in her past. But God doesn't look at her that way. Now, when she had said this, she turned and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? By the way, that word woman, it's not like today. Hey, woman. No, this is a respectful term. It's like lady. It's very respectful. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Do you see the love? She's still trying to figure out how she can anoint the body of Jesus. She's grieving because she thinks he's gone. But look what happens. She's thinking he's gone. Jesus said to her, look at verse 16, Mary, one word. He loved her so much. He called her by her name, Mary. And by the tone of voice, and I guarantee you, it was a look of love. It was a look of compassion, Mary. And she knew I'm seeing Jesus. Her eyes were open and she knew she was talking to the Lord. Let me point this. Don't miss this. Every time you see Jesus with women, watch what the Bible says. There is a tenderness. There is love. There is compassion that is consistent from the beginning of the Bible to the end. There is a loving way that he ministers to women. He says, Mary. And she turned to him and says, Rabboni, which is it's a Hebrew word. My master, my teacher. It's a great and respectful term. She realizes who it is. And she's so excited because she knows it's Jesus and she wants to give him a big hug. And he tells her he's about to ascend. So they, they send her off. He sends her off to go tell the disciples. But please hear this. 
This is the first person Jesus appeared to. Mary Magdalene, the person that everybody looks down on, the person with the messed up past. Jesus doesn't see her that way. This is his daughter. This is the one he loves and she loves him. He appears to her. Then as she and the other women rush off, we find out in another scripture that Jesus appears to Mary and the other women and talks to them. So first he appears to Mary Magdalene. The world says a nobody. Jesus says, my daughter. Then he appears to these three women. The world says they're nobodies. Jesus says, these are my daughters. Then he, the brethren, we come later, honestly. There's some appearing, but it happens later. But do you see this? It's sunrise. Please don't miss that. When God looks at his children, he looks at us in the light of who we are in him. It's sunrise. That's who Jesus is. He's the God of sunrises. Amen. I love that about him. And what's so great about the Lord of sunrises is that he is all powerful. He's omnipotent. He's the God of miracles. And he still takes time to treat me and you and every son and every daughter like you're the only little girl. You're the only little boy. You're the only little girl in the entire world. How wonderful. And he's still the God of miracles. Come back with me to Mark. Mark 16. Look with me, please. At verse 2. Mark 16, look at two. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Sunrise. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. Now, I want to give you the picture. If you were poor and you had a tomb, it was like a little hole in the side of the hill. You burn it out best you could, try to get a body in there and whatever rock you could find to roll it in front. That's all you could do. But a wealthy person like Joseph of Arimathea actually was able to hire people to go in and build a tomb that had rooms in it. Place for a body here, place for a body there. And in those days, you would when the body decomposed, you would take the bones and put it in these boxes called ossuaries. So it had plenty of room. What they're talking about is they want to go back in there and anoint Jesus' body, and they're expecting to find the body, but they get there, and they realize that the stone is not there. They've been stressed about this all this time, worried, who's going to move the stone? And, and a rich person, please understand, it would have been a huge stone. So when they get there, they see a tomb, but there's no stone. Now, it turns out, in Jerusalem, in the Holy Land, there is a tomb. That many researchers and many Bible scholars believe is probably the tomb that Joseph of Arimathea actually owned and is probably the tomb that Jesus was placed in lovingly by these three amazing women. And if we can show that picture, I'd like it's called the garden tomb uh, or sometimes it's known as Gordon's tomb. This is in Jerusalem. You can get a sense of perspective. With this man being there, you can see you barely have to duck down to get in. That's the outside. You go in, there are rooms and different places. Now, if you notice at the bottom, do you see that groove in front of the tomb? There's a groove. There would have been a large stone that would have rolled back and forth in that groove. Now, again, a poor person would have had a small stone. You put it in front of the tomb and just hope it stays and hope it doesn't smell too much. A rich person could have somebody make a huge stone and it would have been circular and it would have fit in that groove. 
Now, I want to give you a picture of how big that stone was, because Mark says in verse four that it was a very large stone. The word that he uses for large is the Greek word megas. We get megaphone and megabucks from it and megabyte. It is a huge stone. That's what Mark says. And we imagine it's circular because that's what the wealthy people did. It turns out there is a stone that is not in front of this tomb. But it's in another part of the Holy Land, I believe, near Jerusalem. And some researchers think it might have originally been the stone that was here. But it's someplace else at this point. I want to give you a picture of that. These researchers call it the missing stone. Now, is that a big mega stone? That's the Greek word megos. It's huge. Nine feet, eight inches in diameter. Here's the interesting thing about this stone. You can read about it online if you want. I'll give you the website later. It is exactly the right width, about 15 inches, that would fit in the groove of the tomb we just saw. It is the right height. It's the same color. It's made out of exactly the same stone. It literally, within a centimeter or two, fits in the groove. So if you were to put it in there, they've measured it, it would fit perfectly in that groove. So this may well be, some researchers think, the very stone that Mark was talking about. Can you imagine an angel moving this stone? That's a miracle. And here's what's wonderful. As my wife and I were talking about this morning, God's timing is perfect. Now to you and, and to me, that's a huge stone. 10, 20 people to move it. To an angel, it's like this pillow. He can do anything he wants with it. Anything he wants. And so he's got the great assignment. I get to go. Oh, it's Easter. I get to go and move this stone. Wait a minute, Lord. Did you say I get to sit on it? God's timing is perfect. So he waits. The stone is there. If I were the angel, I would have been doing like this. Come on, sisters, because I want you. God told me I'm supposed to wait till y'all come around the bend. I can't wait. And when they when the women showed up, I grabbed that bad Oscar. And And by the way. John, when he says this, you can read it later, John 20, verse 1, he doesn't say the stone was rolled away. He says it was taken up. Hear me now. This Greek word, iro, means lifted up. So it probably didn't stay in the groove. Evidently, the angel picked up that stone and moved it off to the side so they'd know for sure that God had done something wonderful. So as soon as those women came, again, sunrise, they saw the angel. He moved the stone and then God told him, you got to make a seat out of it. So he sat down and said, now look at God. Kicking back, taking a chill pill. We have a family friend says, chillaxing, just just laid back because God has done this. And that's point number two. Our God is amazing in new life. Put point number two on the screen, please. In new life, we have miracles. Point number two, new life brings miracles. Let's say that together. New life brings miracles. It was amazing. And God made it so that these women could be there to see this miracle. We know that from another gospel writer. But this, the stone being moved, 2,000 pound, 3,000 pound stone, nothing compared to the greatest miracle in the history of the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And please understand, Jesus didn't need anybody to move a stone so that he could be resurrected. Understand that. Jesus was risen before 
the stone was moved. Think of it this way. What held him? Linen cloths, probably made of cotton. Who made cotton? God. Spices. Who made the spices? God. A stone's in the way. Who made the stone? God. He does not need. It's not like Jesus was saying, now, I really need you to move this stone, please, angel. He's God. And so please understand the greatest miracle happened earlier. As we see it in the Bible, Mary was blessed to, to find out that Jesus wasn't there. She runs. She tells John he run. He and Peter run. And when they look into the tomb, here's what I would imagine they would have seen. The place where Jesus had lain. Here's a handkerchief over here that would have been around his head. But there's no head in the handkerchief. Just a handkerchief. And over here are the grave clothes. They are not taken off in strips, but they're still in the shape of a body because the body is not there. This means that at some point, Jesus Christ, before the stone was moved, literally, gloriously and miraculously raised up through the cloth, raised up through the stone that he made, and he was risen by his own power. He didn't need the angel to move the stone. The angel moved the stone so the women could see it. And so they could look in. The angel moved the stone so Peter and John could look in the tomb and say, look what God has done. The angel moved the stone so you and I can look in and see that God is a God of miracles. He is amazing. And I give God praise for everything he does. He's the God of miracles. And the beautiful thing about God is that the miracles even touch the heart of people who may not know God. I want to let you hear a voice from the first century. This is the complete works of a man named Josephus. He lived 2000 years ago, literally. He was not a Christian. He's considered one of the greatest historians in the world. This is what he said about Jesus. Of course, it's a translation. I'm quoting. Now, there was about this time, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. You could almost stop there. He's not sure you can just call Jesus a man. And we know he's man and God at the same time. Amen. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. That's a miracle. Jews and Gentiles didn't get along back then, hated each other, sometimes killed each other. But Jesus brought them all together, just like we're here today. Every color, every race, every background, Jewish and Gentile, it's a miracle. He was, I'm quoting now, this is not somebody who knew the Lord. He was the Christ. That's what it says. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold these things and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And he goes on to say that this group of Christians, he calls us a tribe. He says the tribe of Christians still exists to this day. It's a miracle. The resurrection of Jesus. His body literally rose. And our faith is based on that. Paul said, if Jesus isn't risen, we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. Which is a good way of saying, since I know I'm not dead in my trespasses and sins, since I know God has gone to the cross, since I know he died for me and he rose again, since that's true, then Jesus is risen. He is the Lord. He is risen. 
He's amazing. And he's also the God who gives us not just miracles, but hope. Look with me at verse four, Mark 16, verse four. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples, listen now, and Peter, that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. Peter, again, if somebody made this story up, they wouldn't want Peter in here. Last time we see Peter, he denied Jesus. You remember, Pastor Eric preached on the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is arrested because the world hates the Lord sometimes. You know, it really does. And he's arrested. So many of his followers scatter. Peter, Peter is around, but someone asks him, oh, wait a minute, didn't you? I, well, you look so familiar. I thought you, don't you know this Jesus of Nazareth? No, 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 I don't know him. Now, Peter had told Jesus before that, listen, if anybody denies you, I won't be the guy. I'm, I'm with you, Jesus. I love you. I got your back. I love you. No, there's no, I would never deny you. Jesus told him, told him, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. So they asked Peter a second time. Do you know him? No, no, no. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know him. And somebody said, but what's your accent? You sound like the Galileans. You've got that funny accent. Are you sure you don't know him? He began to call curses on himself. Peter did. Listen, may I be eternally cursed if I know this person you're talking about? No, I don't know Jesus of Nazareth. The rooster crowed. Peter realized what Jesus had said. And one gospel writer says Jesus looked at him. And again, a look of love, a look of compassion. You're still my child. I still love you. You're better than this, Peter. Peter couldn't handle it. He was so ashamed. He went away and he wept bitterly. We don't even hear his name in the Gospel of Mark until here. And what does the angel say? Go tell the disciples and Peter. You know why? Because even the guy who denied Jesus is there to help us understand there's hope for him. There's hope for Mary Magdalene. And there's hope for you and me. Amen. That's point number three. Put point number three, please, on the screen. Point number three. New life gives us hope. Let's say that together. New life gives us hope. There's a beautiful passage in uh, Romans six. We won't be able to get to. And it says, because Jesus is risen, we can walk in the newness of life. There's hope. God makes us brand new. By changing our lives and saving us. And he doesn't look at us the way we were. He looks at us for where he's going to take us. And now he's changed us into brand new people. There is hope for you and me. I remember when I was a preteen, 11, 12, 13, I grew up in Sunnyvale. And for whatever reason, kids there just thought the coolest thing was to steal from the 7-Eleven. There was an old guy there. I hope that if you're there, please forgive me if, if, if it's you. An older guy there had white hair and these thick glasses. And we thought it was so funny to go in and pretend like, oh, look over there and, and snatch it. And then we would go brag how we had stolen these candy bars from this guy. We thought it was so funny. You know, when you don't know the Lord, you don't just sin, but you're proud. You think it's wonderful. Look, I got it. it was so bad. If I bought a candy bar with my allowance money, I'd eat the candy bar, throw the wrapper away. But if I stole it. 
Oh, I was so proud of myself. I'd get that wrapper and I'd take it off carefully. And then and now I know a little bit about obsessive compulsive stuff. I'd kind of obsessively, it's like ironing. I'd make it, ooh, look at, make it look good and stack them all up and show my friends, look, man, I took all these from 7-Eleven. We thought this was hilarious because I didn't know God. So I came home one day and my mom said, we are going to Church of Philadelphia's Youth Fellowship Night. She didn't ask me. She told me. Old school. So I wasn't I wasn't happy, but I went and I got there and I had some punch that wasn't watery. I now know that's a minor miracle because, you know, Christians, baby, pull some water in that punch and we can have some more for next week. We'll save Jesus some money. The punch was not watery. The cookies were not stale. Played some foosball. I wasn't mad anymore. I was ready to hear the gospel. Reverend Carl Hudson who's then the pastor of Church of Philadelphia, that's here in San Jose, said there's somebody out here the devil's trying to destroy. But I came to tell you, he said this, there's hope in Jesus Christ. I was riveted to my seat because I thought he must have known about all the candy bars and all my other sin. <laughs> Terrified. I listened to the whole sermon, felt like an hour, it's probably 15 minutes. Finally, he said, listen, if you want to get saved, come on down the aisle. You admit you need Jesus, repent, trust him. I was like, no, I'm not coming down the aisle. I don't want y'all to know I'm the big heathen he's been talking about. But then he said, you can go home and you can come to know Jesus tonight in your pajamas. You know, as, as you're praying on your bed, I thought, okay, that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. So I memorized the prayer that I was supposed to pray. And I went home, I was sitting there and just watching TV with my parents. And I was thinking to myself, I'm going to hell. Because you cannot get saved in regular clothes. you got to have pajamas on. So I'm going to hell. I'm scared. I was like, Lord, please let me live till I can get my pajamas on. And the Lord did. It was great. And then I was headed to my room and said goodnight to my parents. I'm headed to my room and, and, and I want to get saved. And I realized I can't get saved because I'm standing up. You can't get saved standing up. That's what the preacher said. So I knelt on my bed. God, forgive me of my sins. I am trusting you today. I know what I've done is wrong, but I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me and you're my king and I'm going to trust in you. Would you please make me new? Jesus name. Amen. He saved me that day. And it was like being cleansed from head to toe. The forgiveness, the love, the newness of life. And now I can walk in new life because of what Jesus has done. He is good and he's trustworthy. Quickly, I want you to look with me. Mark 16. Look how trustworthy he is. Verse six. This is the angel. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he told you. Would you say that with me? As he told you. He is trustworthy. Jesus had said to them, you can go back and read it. Mark 14, beginning about verse 27. He said this day, Garden of Gethsemane, I'm going to be I'm, I will be struck. The shepherd will be struck. Some of you will scatter. What he didn't say is I will still love you, even if you run, including you, Peter. I'll still love you. You'll scatter. But after I'm raised from the dead, after I'm raised Believe me, I'm going to go before you into Galilee. He had already prophesied this. God is trustworthy. And that's point number four. Let's put that on the screen. Point number four. He is the God who does exactly what he says. Will you trust Jesus who gives us new life? That's my question to you and to me, whether you know him or not. Will you trust Jesus who gives us 
new life. Let's ask that together. Will you trust Jesus who gives us a new life? He is trustworthy. He said he would come to the cross. He did. He said he would die for us. He did. He said he would be raised. He did. He said he would change lives. He did. He said he would be the Messiah and then he would reign on the throne forever. And he has. He is trustworthy. And the beautiful thing about God is once you have new life in him, if you don't know him, I encourage you to come to know him one day. When you have new life, then you can walk in newness of life. That's what Romans 6, 3 and 4 talk. You can walk in newness of life. Here's how I walk in newness of life. Now I go to the grocery store. You know what I do? I buy one candy bar, usually Snickers. That's my favorite. And I've been trying to tell my wife, honey, this Kit Kat thing is not that bad, but Snickers is the best. So we go back and forth. I get one and I just look at the candy bar. I just grin because you know what? I know when I was 12 and 13, I was getting a five finger discount and thought it was hilarious. Now I'm looking at this sticker and I'm thinking I am saved and I'm buying this thing. I'm going to eat this Snickers. I'm going to enjoy it and throw the wrapper away because I don't have to brag. Ooh, look what we stole. I can simply say, look what God has done. It's walking in new life. Some of you, this is how God sees us. It's sunrise. Some of you, you know the places you used to go. One way for you to walk in new life is to say, Lord, I can drive right by that place. I can drive right by that person's apartment. I can drive right by that house and not go in because I am brand new. Some of you might have been addicted to alcohol or drugs in the past and God has set you free and you can drive past a bar or past a place where you used to buy stuff that nearly killed you. And now you can say, look, God, how powerful you are. I'm driving right past this place because I'm new. God has given me a new life. Some of you, what you need to do is you need to pull out your phone and scroll down to that contact. And, you know, this person, you haven't talked to him in a year or two, but even texting them, even calling them would be destructive. You need to bring up that menu. Do you want to delete this contact? Yes, I do, because I'm brand new. And you need to hit yes and wipe that out. That's how you can celebrate the new life. But the beauty is that because of what God has done, Jesus Christ makes us brand new. And it's because he's risen. It's because he's conquered death and he's conquered hell and he's conquered the grave. And he can wipe out all of our sins if we just trust in him. His blood has covered us. His sacrifice has taken care of us. And now when we have new life in Jesus Christ, we can walk in that newness of life and thank him and give him praise and tell people this is how I used to be but God gave me a sunrise I am brand new I'm a child of God I'm a daughter of the king I'm a son of the king I'm the Lord's child I'm walking with him I'm growing in him I'm learning to trust him more and more every day I have a new life in Jesus Christ and I have a new life Because he's risen. And he's risen in my 